happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And um, as I look out this morning, I was downstairs at the, at the break. There are some people here that I haven't seen in many years. So it's uh, it's nice to see you. Nice to see you again. Some of you have families now and some of you have, uh, of course, moved away and you're back for Thanksgiving. So it's just great to see uh, to see all of you. Um, this being Thanksgiving, of course, we're, we're so thankful to the Lord for everything he's done. Uh, we're also um, so thankful, the Kerr family, so thankful for the the prayers and the support of Readview Bible Chapel. Uh, last time I was supposed to be here, I had to cancel, so I apologize for that, but I'm able to be here today and just to thank you publicly uh, for standing with us in the ministry and everything that we're, uh, we're doing, and uh, we do appreciate uh, that so very much. We're going to turn in our Bibles this morning to Genesis 16. I will tell you up front today that I don't have particularly a Thanksgiving message that we're going to tie in uh, with the holiday of Thanksgiving. But at the same time, we are going to see many things as we would look through some things in this chapter that we need to be thankful for. So we're going to begin reading. We're going to read the whole chapter. We'll see how much uh, time we have. And then we're going to make some comments. So Genesis 16, beginning at verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. And Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abram said to Sarah, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you gone from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child. You shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Bir Laha Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Father in heaven, this morning, as we would consider your word, Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word. 
We pray, Father, that you would bless our time in your word this morning. Father, the truth is we are forgetful people. Needless to say, four to six weeks from today, we will probably forget a lot of what we've discussed and looked at today. It's the nature of the way we are. But, Father, we have this moment. We have this time. And we were before you this morning. And we pray, O oh, Father, that you would be pleased to bless these thoughts and that your Holy Spirit would have his perfect work in all of our hearts, of course, creature included. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen. So I'm not sure when you read through Genesis last and when you considered uh, these verses, but this has been a challenging chapter to me in so many different ways. Uh, we know that God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. We also know that Abraham's faith was tested. And Abraham sometimes succeeded in faith. Sometimes he didn't succeed in faith. Sometimes things didn't go too well. Sounds like my life sometimes, right? In terms of how he uh, conducted himself, sometimes he failed. Looking back at Genesis 15, just for a moment, we want to note verse 6, because it's pivotal, it's pivotal, sorry, for Abram. Verse 6, it tells us in, of chapter 15, and he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. This is the very first use of the word believe in the Bible. Very first time it's used is right here. And for Abram, this was going to be the end of all. And what it teaches me, of course, is that we come to Christ. We come to him. We believe in him. We trust in Christ. We believe in his finished work for us. And we become saved. And we know the Lord. But then there are going to be many times there are going to be faith building for us. We just don't walk away from that first encounter with the Lord, knowing him. Yes, sin's forgiven. But we don't just walk away from that time and walk into success after success after success in faith. Faith is tested. Faith is tried. Faith, if you look back at your Christian life and you're saved some years, you can probably look back at some key times in faith. When there was a time when God spoke directly to you. And it was powerful, and it was strong, and you maybe even thought at that time, oh, I'd love to stay here right now where I am at this very moment. Ever have that happen? And you want to be right there, and you want to stay there. Unfortunately, there are times when that doesn't happen. Somebody says that real life gets in the way. Anyway, I have to, I have to move on. I have to move on. We want to note as well in Genesis 15 that this was a triumphal uh, chapter for Abram. We know of the covenant that occurred. We read in verse 17, there appeared a smoking oven and the burning torch that passed between uh, these two pieces. Now, these two pieces, this is talking about animals, and this is all very strange for us, the idea that you would cut animals up and divide them in two, and that uh, two people that were coming into a covenant would, would at that time culturally go between those two pieces, and that's the way things were done, and that's all very strange to us, but it wasn't strange to them. This is the way covenants were marked. This is the way they were established. But what we will notice here is there was only one presence that went between the pieces. That was the presence of God, because this was going to be unconditional. What God was promising Abram and the coming of a son and the coming of a nation of people was going to be unconditional on Abram's uh, obedience, if you will. Even his faith. It was going to be uh, God who was going to assure that. So Genesis 15 was this triumphal chapter. And then you get to Genesis 16. And maybe not so much, right? Maybe not so much as we read through it. Okay, look at verse 1 now of our text. 
see a few things as we go through. Uh, we noted from verse 3 that we read, 10 years have passed since Genesis 15. 10 years have passed. Abraham and Sarai are waiting. They're waiting for the promises of God, right? They're waiting. Uh, these times have, uh, have gone by. The fact that Abram is waiting is in itself a test of faith for him and for Sarah, right? It's a test of faith for him. Being patient and waiting is one of the ways that God uses to perfect our faith and to draw us back closer to him. And some of you here could probably uh, testify uh, to those very things. The older they are getting, the less likely it is that they're going to have a child by physical means. It was going to take some supernatural uh, act of God in order for her to have a child. And the longer the wait, the more it points to God. Sometimes in our lives, it's going to be like that. The wait is going to be long, but the longer the wait, the more it's going to point towards God. And that's his will. That's what he wants, right? And we know that to be true. So we see that here, uh, this time of uh, waiting and the need for them to learn uh, some lessons, if you will. And sometimes God will do that in our lives. He will remove the possibilities of us ever being able to accomplish what we want in our own strength. He'll just take it out of the way. If it's going to be a stumbling block for us in our faith walk, he'll take it out of the way. So that he receives the glory and our eyes are the right place. He'll do that. He'll do that, right? I'm sure that some of you could also account uh, to that. Hagar, we'll notice Hagar, of course, the Egyptian uh, maidservant, probably was, uh, uh, if you will, um, taken on by Sarah and, and, uh, and, and Abram, became their possession, you could even say, as a slave, as a maidservant during their time in Egypt. And she's there uh, with them. And we notice in verse 2, it says that Sarah was, uh, was, was right in what she says. She says, the Lord has restrained me uh, from bearing children. There seems to be a little bit of tone there, though. <laughs> right? Not to read anything into the scripture that's not there, but there seems to be a little of, of a tone. The Lord has restrained me. It's actually his fault. I haven't had children. He's not allowing me to do it. It's his fault. you know. And it seems to be a little bit of that. And she wants to take matters into her own hands at this time. Now, what a dangerous place that is to be. I'm going to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to solve this. I'll solve this for God. God's taking too long. Let me take care of it. You ever do that? Honestly? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes maybe not in the big things. I hope not in the big things. But in the little things, oh, I've got this. I don't need to wait for God on this. I'll just make it happen myself. I'll spend the money. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll make it happen. We fall into that trap. Let's be honest. We fall into that trap. Anyway, we see her doing that, that, that very thing. Uh, it reminds me of a time, you might remember, uh, when Saul, 1 Samuel 13, Saul was waiting for Samuel to come. There was going to be a sacrifice. And Saul was waiting for Samuel to come. And Samuel was uh, held up. Didn't come quickly enough uh, for, uh, for Saul. Samuel didn't come quickly enough. So Saul took matters into his own hands. And sacrifice. And when Samuel comes, Samuel had these words for Saul. He said, what have you done? You've hindered the work of God by moving ahead so quickly in what you wanted. There's lessons here. There's lessons here for us to learn, of course. And we, and, and we see that uh, in 
scripture. Now, the scholars point out from verse 2, and rightfully so, that it was an accepted custom for a woman who wasn't able to have children, to have a maid servant, you know, have a child for her to raise up children that way. This was an accepted uh, custom. And we see that happening, of course, later in the 12 tribes of Israel. We see that happening with uh, Bilhah. We see, we see it happening uh, uh, with her. We see it happening with uh, through Leah, like Leah gave Jacob, uh, her handmaid, and so on. That was an accepted custom at that time. So in, in fairness, she's not going against the custom, but what she's going against is the word of God. God had told them. God had spoken to Abram. God had spoken to both of them through Abram and what was going uh, to happen. And she decides she's going to take matters into her own hands. The verse ends with, and Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Now, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this, but it reminds us of another time, doesn't it? When a man heeded the voice of his wife and it didn't end so well. And we have, we're the products of that today. I'm not coming down on Eve. I'm not coming down on Sarah. I'm just saying it reminds us of another time, doesn't it? What was Abraham not doing right now? What was he not doing right here in this verse? Being the head of his home. Leading by example. Stepping in and stepping up to protect Hagar too. Right? Not just Sarah. Hagar too. And these are things he could have done and 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 to do it not not even so much as a as a, well i'm worried about hagar let's not you know for her sake let's not do it. no because god had sent and she he needed to step up for that reason he says no no don't go against anything god has said god has told us to wait we will wait as long as it takes right because that's what god had said to them and he should have been that leader uh, within his home Verse 3, of course, Sarah gives Abram her maid to be his wife. Uh, we don't ever see God calling Hagar Abram's wife. <laughs> I don't see that in Scripture. This is something that they had they had done as well. Uh, verse 4, someone pointed out, we see the difficulties of polygamy played out here before us. In verse 4, we see jealousy, we see anger, we see envy. Uh, we see no peace in the home. It says Sarah became despised in Hagar's eyes. Hagar hated her. What does this mean? Well, we could suggest several things, I suppose, but um, no doubt she looked down on Sarah, perhaps. You know, what am I that you would use me this way? What am I? I mean, I'm, I'll never be his husband, truly. I'm going to be his husband, but yet, I mean, you know, I'm used in, I'm used in this way. She was, she was angry. A slave, whatever it would be, against her will. Her will was violated. All of these things could, could come into this, but she's upset. And in verse 5, Sarah goes to Abraham, blames him for the issues. <laughs> My wrong be upon you. Okay, now she wants him to be the head. <laughs> now she wants him to take responsibility. Things have kind of gone south. He should have corrected it earlier, but now she wants him to do it now. My wrong be upon you. And she calls God as a judge. The Lord judge between uh, you and me. And now the whole idea had seemed to be in so many ways hers to begin with. But there is some truth in this because he was the one who was going to be ultimately responsible. But she was bitter. She was bitter. Sarah was bitter. And, and Hagar, of course, was uh, upset as well. Now, Abraham's solution, uh, solution to it in verse 6 
is to say that Hagar was Sarah's maid and therefore Sarah could do whatever he wanted. She wanted rather do to her as she pleased. Whatever you think, he didn't act like the head again. He didn't act like the leader in his home. He didn't step up there uh, to protect her or to protect Hagar or anyone else. Right. He didn't do that. So Sarah dealt harshly with Hagar to the point where Hagar left. It seems with the intentions of returning home, of returning home to Egypt. That seems to be the intentions uh, of her leaving. Uh, just a quick note as we pass by, because I want to get into some of these other verses. A quick note as we pass by. Ultimately, the decisions that Sarah made affected everyone. Sarah and Abram made affected everyone, right? Affected everyone all around them, right? And affected Hagar, of course, in, in such a big way. Now, starting in verse 7, we have this new section. And we want to note these beautiful words in verse 7. Look what it tells us. It says, the angel of the Lord found her. Now, of course, you would probably know this, or most of us would know this today. This isn't an angel. This is the angel, the one we believe to be the Lord Jesus in a pre-incarnate form. The one that we believe to be the Lord Jesus coming as a man, here is an angel, coming before the time of his to be born into the world. And it's the first mention of the Lord in this way in the Bible. He's going to do this again to Abram and further on in Genesis 22. He's going to do it to Jacob. He's going to do it to Moses. He's going to appear to them. He does it to Joshua. And he just comes and he appears to them. But here we have this beautiful, beautiful verse. It says, the angel of the Lord found her, found her. He didn't find him. Found her. He saw the pain. He saw uh, the suffering, whereas she was just a slave woman. Sarai, somebody perhaps insignificant, the property of Abram and Sarai, she was more than that to God, of course. She was more to that than that to the Lord. You want to note as well in verse 7 when we consider it that he finds her by a spring of water in the wilderness. Interesting, water in scripture is, is uh, used to represent the word of God. And here, here we have her at this spring of water, no doubt getting a drink of water. Question about that. But she's on her way to Shur. She's traveling again. It seems to be the focal point is for her. She's going back home at this time. But he finds her there where she is at. I don't know about you, but I was saved as an adult. And when the Lord found me, he found me wandering in the wilderness that we call the world. That's where he found me. He found me wandering in the wilderness in darkness at a time when he first got a hold of me. That was saved some months later. But when he first got a hold of me at that initial encounter, he got a hold of me at a time when I wasn't even looking for water. I wasn't even looking for the word of God. I wasn't looking for any of those things. None of those things. But he got a hold of me and he found me in the wilderness. What a description this is of how God finds us, how he found Hagar, how the angel of the Lord uh, found Hagar, where she was at. There was a time when he met you, if you're saved today, there's a time that he met you right where you were at. 
wherever that would be, as an adult, as a child, as a four-year-old, as a six-year-old, whatever time it was. But he met you where you were at. And he was there for you. There's a time for you, if you know the Lord this morning, that there's, you know, so many other times where he meets you where you're at, regardless of circumstance, regardless of what you're going through. And he's there for you at that time. The phone call comes and it's not good. The message comes from a family member far away and it's not good. Okay, whatever it would be, work calls and it's not good. You get to the end of the month and you're trying to balance your budget and it's not good. <laughs> and he's there for those times too, isn't he? He meets us where we're at. This is our God. What a, what a picture uh, this is. I want to just say something in passing because we need to move on. If you trace this through, you see, of course, uh, how the angel of the Lord is going to send Hagar back home. That's what's going to happen here. But in Genesis 21, she leaves now with Ishmael raised uh, to the point of being a teenager. And she's put out of the house. And Abram is so disturbed by that in Genesis 21. He doesn't want that to happen, of course. That's his boy, after all. right? And uh, uh, God tells him at that time, tells Abram at that time, to heed the voice of his wife. That's the time that he was to heed her. And to actually put her out. And at this time, you see her out again. And at this time, when she's out, uh, she's, it, it, there's a time there in Genesis 21, I'll just read the verse in verse 19, how God opened her eyes, and what she sees there at this time is a well of water, a well. And what am I, what am I trying to say by this? Well, God went on, of course, to, to care for her and to care for the lad, but somebody has pointed out that what begun as a spring, okay, ended in a well. Is that not true for us? Because what begins is a spring of his word. What begins is that initial uh, starting step, wherever it would be. We learn how that grows into being a well of his word, just a well of everlasting life. This is the Lord, of course, who said in, in, in John chapter 6, and anyone who believed in him would never thirst. He would satisfy their thirst completely. And that's what we've learned. That's what I've learned. I'm sure that's what you've learned as a Christian, that you cannot exhaust the word, you cannot exhaust the provision of God for the thirst, okay, the provisions that he allows us to have from his word. How beautiful it is. What began as a spring, okay, ends in a well, and God went on to provide for them. And you can read Genesis 21. You can look at that connection and see it. It's there. It's beautiful. Now, going on to verse 8. Uh, Hagar, of course, like, again, is not called Abram's wife, custom of the land or not. Uh, that was not uh, God's order. Uh, Hagar is called Sarah's maid. The Lord calls Hagar by name. Okay, verse 8, we see that. But there's two questions here we want to make note of. This is what he asks of her. Where have you come from and where are you going? Interesting, isn't it? You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the time the Lord asked for blind Bartimaeus to be brought before him. And he said, bring him to me. And Bartimaeus come up. And here's Bartimaeus standing there blind before the Lord. And the Lord says to her, to him at that time, what do you want me to do for you? You know, I have to be honest. The first time I read that, I'm like, well, Lord, isn't it obvious? I mean, the man's standing there blind. Man's standing there blind. And, uh, you know, he needs you as a savior. Yes, but he's also blind. Is it not obvious? Why would the Lord ask that? What do you want me to do for you? 
for the very same reason that he's asking Hagar what he's asking here and saying, where have you come from and where are you going? Because what he's looking for is the same faith he had to find in Abram back in Genesis 15, 6. He's looking for the faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. He or she who comes to him must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What was the angel of the Lord looking from, uh, for from uh, Hagar here? Faith. When, he, when Bartimaeus exercised his faith in the Lord, Lord, that I may receive my sight. The Lord Jesus would work. Why could he not work back in his hometown? There's no faith there. He would love to have done some things. He couldn't. And until Abram and Sarah were going to learn the valuable, you know, the valuable lessons that they needed to learn, God wasn't going to be able to continue the way that he wanted to. He had to bring the, all these things about, and that's what we see here. But these questions, ask yourself those questions this morning. Where have you come from? Well, brother, you know, I mean, I was, I was saved here at Rita View, and I was this, and I was that. We're pretty good in the past, right? I could tell you my testimony. You can tell me your testimony. You could tell me that. What about the rest of it, though? Where are you going? Well, there's the first part. If you know the Lord Jesus, you're going to heaven. That's true. But I think the question is bigger than that. Where are you going? Like, what, what's the plan for <laughs> life as we continue? Okay? These are good questions for us to consider. Right. Uh, you answer to the Lord, of course, you don't answer to me. But, uh, you know, we, we, we think of these things. Where have you come from? Where are you going? What, what's the plan? What's the what's the purpose? What's the meaning of it all? Like, where where, where am I going? My Christian life, my family, everything. What, what's happening here? Where is it all going? Then what happens? Well, Hagar says, I'm fleeing. I'm running away from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. This was hard for Hagar, of course. The circumstances had driven her to this, and she was pregnant. But then in verse 9, what does the angel of the Lord tell her to do? He says, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Those are some heavy-duty words to hear. She's just ran away from an extremely difficult situation that was causing her a lot of pain. And the Lord says, I want you to go back there. Some of us would say, why? Why? Why would God want her to go back to that? Couldn't God have, you know, moved, removed her from this and taken her somewhere else? You know, it's okay. It's, it's okay, Hagar. Come, I'll, I'll lead the way. Come, you, we'll go to this. This family will care for you. Don't worry. I'll, I'll be sure that Abram and, you know, and Sarah, I never look for you. And that you won't have to worry about that. And come, you can come back to a family member. And I've already set it up. So you can stay there with your family member. And everything will be great. And everything will be cared for. But no, he says, you need to go home. And you need to submit. Why? Well, I'm going to suggest to you uh, why. There was a tremendous amount of grace that God had just poured out on Hagar. And he's going to go on. She is, has exercised some faith. You're going to see that faith becoming apparent in just a little bit. But her grace, or the grace that had been poured out on her, does never, and it's true of us in our lives as well, grace will never negate responsibilities in our life. Okay? Just because God pours out this grace 
on us. And we become changed because Hagar was going to leave here changed. But just because God pours that, that grace out on us does not negate our responsibilities. And right, right or wrong, however you might look at it, there was responsibilities for Hagar back home. And she belonged to Abram and Sarah. And she had to submit and she had to go back. Okay. Uh, Grace was a teacher for her. And you've probably heard some fine sermons on that. I'll just, I'll just read one little verse here talking about that. And from Titus 2, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. You know that to be true if we're saved. Look what it says. Teaching us. Grace is a teacher. Grace is a wonderful teacher. Some, some man gets saved later in his life, and he has responsibilities to children he's, he's never met. God doesn't say, forget the children. God says, go back and make it right. There's responsibility with grace. Right? And there was responsibility with grace here. Right? The same goes for a woman gets saved later in life. A woman comes to the Lord and gets saved later in life, and she's been out of sorts with her sister for so many years. She has a mother somewhere who treated her terribly, I understand, but she hasn't talked to in 10 years. God says, go back and make it right. Grace is teaching you now. Now you have the heart to understand. Now you have the heart to understand human nature and how things are. Now you have the heart to be that light in the community, wherever God would want you to be, and whatever relationship, now go back and make it right. See, that's what grace does. Grace fills our heart and makes us into something we never were before. It's the joy of knowing him. That's the joy of, of what he's able to do. So the angel of the Lord tells her uh, to go back, to go back. See, grace teaches us sometimes the Lord wants us to remain in the place of difficulty. We want to run. We want to flee away. God says, no, stay there. Submit to me. That's what you need to do. Let me work it out. Let me bring everything together, right? Uh, everything that I want to fulfill all righteousness. But we can have this tendency to, to back away and want to go back to what's familiar. Why do, why do sometimes saved, you know, saved Christian men and women? I know the battle is strong. I understand we, we deal with it in our ministry all the time. But why do some return to alcohol? Why do some return to drugs? Because it's the place of familiarity. It's all they know. The teaching has not, you know, hit them, if you will, the, uh, to, to the extent that it should. And they try to go back to something they're familiar with. When really what they have to do is they have to let that grace be a teacher. And it's hard to stay in that spot sometimes. Really difficult for us to stay there. And God says, no, Hagar, I want you to go back. I want you to go back. And sometimes those difficult Places where God has us are going to lead to the greatest blessing. That's what was going to happen here to Hagar. Okay. And difficulties uh, don't mean that somehow or another, rather, the Lord, oh, this is difficult. How can it be? Well, your faith is being tested. God's allowing you to go through these things for purposes. He allows us, or, you know, myself, Deb and I, whoever, your family, you go through these things for a reason. It's not just, oh, I'm a bad person. God's like, no, no. These difficulties are allowed. And they perfect us. They perfect our faith. We come out stronger, you know, and it's all, it's all grace. Again, it's God. We can't exhaust that grace. By the way, by the way, thinking about all these times as Christians, maybe when we can sometimes get a little off the narrow road, the formula is here. 
here's the formula, return and submit. <laughs> That's the formula. That's the formula for everything. No matter if we strayed for 10 years or 10 seconds, the formula is the same. Return and submit. Submit ourselves to God in the circumstance. Submit us to the circumstance, right? So that's what God says. The angel of the Lord here says to Hagar at this time. And then we have this prophecy beginning in verse 10. The angel says, I'm going to multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. That's quite a promise, isn't it? To a, you know, a young slave woman, pregnant, traveling with absolutely nothing, probably thinking she's going to die out there in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, this prophecy comes uh, upon her. You want to see as well the, the things that the angel, uh, the Lord here is sharing at this time were specifically for her. Right, specifically for her, he's you, you don't hear him involving here, uh, you know, Sarai or Abram in any way. Okay, it, this is specifically for her. This is going to be the, the birth of the Arab peoples today, they number in the hundreds of millions. This is going to be the birth of the Arab people. She was noticed, she was understood, she was loved, she was seen. We see all of this, but look what it says, verse 11 Hagar was going to bear a son, yes, Ishmael. And Ishmael, the name means the Lord has heard or God hears. And it tells us here in verse 11, the Lord has heard your affliction. Heard your affliction. Very simple thought here. I'll use myself as, a, as an illustration. I can walk through the streets of Vanier. That's where our ministry is. I can walk through the streets of Vanier on any given time. And... You know, I can see needs. There's people I know now, people I've seen a long time now, people we've talked to through our outreach ministries and different things. And I can walk through and I can see needs. There's so-and-so, they're not doing so well today. Oh, there's so-and-so, oh, they look good today. Good day for them. So I can see all of these things, but I don't hear. I don't hear. You don't either. God does. God hears the heart. He hears the affliction. We don't. We might see it once in a while, or we can block ourselves off and put a bubble around ourselves and pretend it's not there. But it's still there. You know something? God hears it. God wants us as a Christian church to be part of something too, but that's another sermon. The Lord had heard her affliction. She, he heard the heart of Hagar. Okay? Now, he knew up front, but he's still child. Where are, you, where are you coming from? Where are you going, Hagar? He knew. Hagar had to come to a point where, 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 where she knew. But he heard her cries. He heard her, her tears. He could, he could see her heart. We can't, of course. But he could. And think of that. Think of that. The, even the testimony of the very name, right? The name uh, Ishmael. Now, we're running out of time here, but uh, verse 12 talks about within this prophecy. It mentions here, uh, you know, New King James says he shall be talking of Ishmael. He shall be a wild man. The ESV says there he will be a wild donkey of a man. Now, this is not derogatory. I got to be very honest with you. That was another thing I used to think. That's some derogatory statement going to be a wild donkey. You know, that's just derogatory. No, it's not. It's not derogatory. And how do we know that? We know that 
because in Job 39, okay, it talks about the donkey, and there God himself is speaking in Job 39, okay, to Job. And this is what he says, who set the wild donkey free? Now, this is the, the these are the, the donkeys that, that, uh, that roam, if you will, the deserts of the Middle East, okay? Who set the wild donkey free? Who loosed the bonds of the onager? Another name. Whose home I have made the wilderness and the barren land his dwelling. He scorns the tumult of the city. He does not heed the shouts of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture and he searches after every green thing. Not to be tame, proud, strong. All of these things come out. Okay. And you think of the, uh, you think of the Arab peoples, right? One of the things that, that amazes me, uh, within this. <laughs> You know, as, uh, as God is giving this prophecy and, you know, tens of millions of the, the Arab peoples, where are they today? They're right there. From the Jerusalem. They're just there. They don't answer to just anyone. They do their own thing. They're, they're strong people. You know, all of these, all of these things are true coming. You know, they, they, they fight about herds, wells of water, pasture, land. This is our land, so on. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And, and you know, God, in, in, in giving this prophecy to Hagar, was telling her that, you know, from her son, we're going to come this, this nation of people. They're going to be there for all to see. They're going to be a free people. But yet the NLT says, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. He shall dwell, ESV says, he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. He's just going to be right there, all of his descendants, right before the children of Israel. It's just fascinating to see this as it all comes together, as it all comes together. So getting on to verse 13, Hagar knew who it was who had spoken to her. He said, she says it was the Lord. And called him, you are the one who sees it. It's literally El Roy in Hebrew, the God who sees me. And she makes a little more of that in verse 13. You'll see that. She says, have I also here seen him who speaks, sees me? She's getting a hold of the grandeur of the moment to understand I am I'm talking with God. I'm talking with the one who sees me. But wait a sec. I've seen him. Right? Oh, that we would have that sort of grandeur in our own spiritual walk. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's one thing. God can see me. Of course he is. He can see God. But listen, we see God through his word. We see God through our prayer time. We see God through time spent with him. All the, you know, just the, the, the magnitude, the power, the magnificence that God allows us into that sort of a relationship. You can have it at your home. Today, tomorrow, tomorrow morning, before work, when you come home, whenever it is, and you can enter into that moment as a Christian. And she knew something at that moment. She had this reverential fear of God. So, verse 15, she goes back, right? Verses 15 to 16, just tying this all together. Uh, she goes back home. Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. He listened, if you will. We're not privy to that conversation that Hagar would have had with Abram, perhaps with Sarai as well. We don't know. But Abram, listen, she goes back. I want us to note something. She went back to the very same situation. There's nothing in here to suggest that the situation had changed in any way. What had changed? 
She had changed. She had changed. That's what had changed. Sometimes the problem is us. We're the problem. <laughs> okay. She had changed. Everything was going to be different because she had changed. We're not going to change this world. But we can change who we are in the world. We can be that light. We can be that example. Right? As, as, as we're out there. Okay? She had faith now. She had hope now. She had a message from God now. Sounds like me when I got saved. Right? She had all of these things now. Right? As she was going back to the circumstance, you get saved today, you go back to work tomorrow, it's the same boss, same guy yelling at you, same woman yelling at you, whatever the situation. Still working for your 10 cents a week or whatever it is. Same house, same bus driver, same rude people, everything is the same around you. That's not going to change. You know, but what, what changes when we're, when we're saved? We change. This changes. This changes. And you know something? This will continue to change as we walk with our Lord, as we continue. Yeah. He continues to teach. Every once in a while, don't be surprised if he says, where are you going? He's going to shout that out at us occasionally, too. Where are you going? What are you doing exactly right now at this moment? <laughs> you need to submit and come back. Come back to me. He'll, he'll challenge us in that uh, very way. We have a hope. We have a message uh, from God and everything uh, we do. We're waiting. You know, we have a hope. You say, well, what, what's our hope? Oh, our hope is to go to heaven. Our hope right now, our hope is the coming of Christ, and it could come at any time. You know, our brother Dave was sharing about all the disruptions going on in the world, particularly with Israel. You know, that, listen, his coming, his coming is imminent. Like, it is. Like, he's come. <laughs> You know, I, I won't be so foolish to suggest, suggest a, a timeline, but I, like it, it, his coming is heaven. And we have that sure and certain hope uh, that he's going to come. And we have that sure and certain hope of being together with him forever. And when we look back on this and we look at these chapters, this was a time when Abram and Sarai's faith failed. You know who didn't fail here in this? Hagar in obedience, yes, but God himself did not fail Hagar. God did not fail. Okay. Surprise. God did not fail. Abram and Sarah failed. They failed each other. They failed their testimony with God. They failed the, the faith that they should have had, that they should have exercised at that time. They failed Hagar miserably. God didn't fail her. God was there for her. God stood with her. God found her. God spoke to her. God gave her hope. It's all God through the angel of the Lord. God did it all, right, for her at this time, right? God did not fail her. He sees and knows. He saw Hagar. He sees and knows our weakest cry. Let's learn from Abram. Let's learn from Abram and Sarah. Let's see their mistakes. Let's see them, you know, uh, drift away. Uh, it's going to take some years, but yes, God is again going to reassert. And yes, they're going to have this son, Isaac, and so on. It's all going to come. Let's learn from that. But let's learn from Hagar, too. Because there's so much there. There's so much there that we can look at and we can see and we can unpack when we see how God dealt so graciously uh, with her. And let's thank, let's thank our Lord for the grace that he gives, right? Every day. Every day for us. Every day it's there. And we thank him. Grace is a great teacher.
and how we need that grace. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, the teaching of your word. Lord, there are so many things that we see here, so many truths as you would deal and you would uh, graciously uphold Hagar at this time. At a time when she was struggling and she was heartbroken. We mentioned earlier that in Genesis 21, we see her heartbroken again, this time with the boy who's now a teenager. We see her there separating herself from him. And she says, I can't bear to see my son die. That's where she had come to. Yes, we can lose hope sometimes too, even though when it's been given. And what does, what did you do at that time? Again, you appeared to her. Again, you spoke to her. This time you didn't appear to her. You spoke to her from heaven, it says in Genesis 21. Spoke specifically to her and you showed her this water that she wanted. You showed her a well, a well of water. You got her back on the path and then you cared for her. Father, we thank you. We thank you for grace. We thank you for mercies new every morning. We thank you for these difficult times that teach us, difficult times that help us so that our faith may grow. We thank you, Father, that you love us and you never, ever leave us. We give thanks and our Savior tonight. Amen.